to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, and of course, right now, as we're in the pandemic, things related to COVID-19. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button. Uh, send says something to the effect of send host an email. I really should check out and find out what it says. Send the uh, host an email. I do get all emails and uh, I'll be in contact with you and we'll see about uh, getting you on the show or finding someone to talk about the topic you want us to touch. Also, if there's a product or service you want to promote on the show, we do have some advertising opportunities. So please feel free, reach me the same way and I can get you some information. Fingers crossed. If all goes well, Um, I will be in Phoenix at the DRJ uh, conference, September 28th, and possibly doing another live broadcast. Fingers crossed that happens again. October 7th and 8th, I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. And November 5th and 6th, I will be speaking at BCI World, Birmingham, UK. And me being from uh, England, I'm looking forward to that one, so I really hope that one happens. And I'd like to thank everyone at Stone Road and their product at BoastAssessment.com, where they have an application you can use to help monitor and maintain your program and find out where you're lacking and uh, help focus your resources appropriately. Normally, we go through a big, long introduction, but if you're a longtime listener, you are very familiar with my next guest. We are going to be meeting uh, for on a monthly basis for the next uh, few months at least. So I'd like to welcome back to the show to talk about COVID-19, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back once again. Alex, it's such a delight to be with you again. Oh, you're just saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. I enjoy it. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Well, uh, as I said, we're going to be meeting um, uh, basically monthly now, right, Uh, for about the next six months at least. Yeah. Yeah. talking about COVID-19 and uh, things that are related to that. And uh, you're always a a wealth of information and perspective. So I'm really glad to have you here once again. Thank you. We have uh, lots to talk about. Oh, we have lots. So let's just jump right in. Now, you you provided me a a little bit of outline of what we're going to talk about. And uh, one of the first things you talked about was a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a document you forwarded to me about three uh, waves regarding the pandemic. Can you explain those uh, for everyone? Yeah. yeah, I think that would be great. Let me, let me, um, let me just briefly talk about these for uh, where they came from for a second. There's a group in the United sure. States called CIDREP, which stands for Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Uh, they've been around since 2001, and they're based out of the University of uh, Minnesota. They are uh, an exceptional organization that deals with public health preparedness and emerging infectious diseases. Um, 
their head physician, Michael Osterholm, uh, very well known in the pandemic world, uh, has done some really, really great research. And, and they have a document that I would highly encourage, encourage your listeners to, first of all, Google and go find. Um, and it really has this great uh, diagram I thought would be great for us to to start with, and that's the possible pandemic wave scenarios. And and this isn't just Michael's uh, view. I think it's generally broadly across the universe, but it's a really good place for us to begin our conversation today, which is going to focus really on the reentry strategies that companies need to consider. So mm-hmm. let me describe each one of these waves in, in turn, and then we'll stop and talk about after each each scenario I talk about, and then we can just chat for a moment. The first sure. scenario is one that he calls peaks and valleys. So if you had a pen in your hand and you were had a piece of paper on a desk, and you sort of imagine drawing what looks like a series of kind of oscillating waves, if you will. The first wave comes up, and then it comes down, and then it's a little flat for a period of time, but not too long, and then it comes right back up, and it goes down, and it continues that way. Peaks and valleys would be a case where we have, again, a highly infectious illness that spreads very rapidly, and in particular, what happens is that people who are out and about aren't necessarily following all the rules that we have become very familiar with now. So physical distancing, at least six feet or two meters away from everyone, wearing a mask when in public and in any gatherings at all, uh, and essentially kind of not doing all of those good processes, probably not necessarily hand hygiene, hand sanitizers, and so on. And so what happens is that we have this illness, and then we get locked back into our homes again by the governments of the countries that we live in, and next thing you know, it goes down, and then we don't behave ourselves. Uh, we come back out, we don't behave ourselves, and we repeat over and over and over again. So scenario one is a, a possibility in probably many places in the world. So that's our first possibility. From a planning perspective, it's awful. That means that you, by the time you first get your folks back to work, it happens all over again. You have to go back home. So not a great option. So that's the first one. The second one is called Fall Peak, and it very much looks like the 1918 Spanish flu. Now, of course, that was an influenza disease, but at the same time, um, this could be our future, even though we're talking now about a coronavirus. So in this particular scenario, we have the wave that we're just finishing with right now, and it goes down and we behave ourselves for a period of time, but then in the fall, it shoots back up. But now it's, it's not the same size wave as we have just gone through. It is a gigantic wave, which is exactly what happened in 1918. So it consumes, if you will, a lot more victims, both a lot more illness, but frankly also a lot more deaths. And it's very significant and far-reaching, and so because of that, it kind of burns through a lot of people, if you will, in any given country. And so we still have subsequent waves, but they're much smaller. And then the last one that um, SIDRAP puts out is what they call the slow burn. It's probably the best option of all three of these that I'm describing. And by the way, Alex, none of them are great. (laughs) (laughs) But in the slow burn, we have the wave that we're just finishing. And then what we have, because we are well-behaved as citizens of the world, we're wearing a mask, we're physically distanced from each other, we're washing our hands a lot, and so on, that we do have subsequent waves, but they're modest. And so it looks just like little tiny waves kind of hitting the beach. And that would be, frankly, the best scenario. But that really is our likely future, one of those three waves. 
the reason I wanted to start chatting with you uh, in our session this time about those is it gives you an idea as a planner that we are going to have to be highly facile and really needing to pivot, if you will, on a dime if, uh, to, mm-hmm. to respond to any of these possibilities. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the charts right now and that uh, the second one with the the um, uh, the second wave being larger than the first, you mentioned uh, the Spanish flu, and I've read that 1919 was a worse year for the Spanish flu than 1918, even though it's the Spanish it, flu of 1918. Right, right, right. Actually, when the, when the flu first began, it was in 1918, and, and then the, the subsequent year, which was the big killer year, was actually into 1919, yes. Yeah. So that's, that's um, in some ways, that's, uh, well, I mean, all of the, the all of them are bad, but the first two in mm-hmm. particular are really problematic. And I think for organizations, the reason I think it's important for planners to really understand that is that we have to just really have very flexible plans that we're designing, because really we have to be prepared for being locked back up again. Well, I guess that gives credence to the you know the. Um uh, knowing that your plans are actually living documents, not static. You know, they have to be mm-hmm. uh, maintained on a consistent basis, not mm-hmm. a once-a-year checkbox type thing, right? Right, right. And I think the the other thing about this I think that's really important to, to stop and think about for a moment, Alex, is that this is a long process. And I know, you know, I, I talk to people all the time, and they're always saying, gee, I want my life back. It's like, well, you know, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. This is our life for the foreseeable future, and I think that's the, the thing that you need to really think about when you look at those, that series of waves, is that this is not going to go away in six months. It's not going to go away in a year, and frankly, it could be 18 months or longer before we are actually done with this. And that gets to the, you know, what's the end result? is that we will continue to have waves of illness. Granted, some of them will be bigger than others, and the impacts will be greater than others. But until, and this is the real important thing that your listeners need to really sit with, until there is a vaccine widely available Mm -hmm. and or a very available, easily dispensed, Therapeutic, which means something like an antiviral you could take at home as soon as you started feeling ill, that would stop the illness, either one of those, is that this is what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future. And that future, I think, is much longer than people are imagining. I I think so. Um, I heard an interesting thing on the radio uh, the other day that the flu for uh, the 1918 uh, Spanish flu is actually still around today. It's a part Correct. of the um, uh, up here. I don't. I can't speak for the United States, but in Canada, it's a part of the vaccine we get every year. You know, if we get our yes. flu shot, it's actually a part of yes. that. Is that is that yes. true down there it's too? It's the H one N one. Yes. Yeah, I think that the thing that happens with most influenzas, and this will happen with the coronavirus that we're suffering with now, is that the deal is is that. It is. It, it becomes what's called endemic, which means it's part of our natural uh, cycle. And so flu is very much that same way. So we're still being vaccinated for the uh, Spanish flu virus. 
and um, were being vaccinated for the, at the same time, the pandemic of 1968 and 1957 and 2009, mm-hmm. because once those are out in the general public, they um, uh, are, are something that we have to be prepared for. The other thing about these viruses that's important to note as well, you might say, well, why do I take the flu shot every year? It's because viruses like coronavirus, like influenza, mutate with a lot of regularity. So what was circulating mm-hmm. in, two, in 1918, the, you know, the general construct of the virus is the same, but all of the particulate pieces of it are markedly different now, and that's because it has changed so much. So we have to be vaccinated on a regular basis because we have to be vaccinated for what is currently circulating, not what was circulating 10 years ago. Right. The, the other thing I, I kind of shake my head at when I look at these graphs is, Knowing that there are these peaks, whether they be a large peak or a smaller peak, why, if history shows us that this occurs and all the predictions show us this occurs and history repeats itself or however way you want to word it, (laughs) why is there such a rush to get people out there again to create these peaks? You know, if you know that that is a really important issue, and so obviously many countries are being their economies are being devastated by this illness. I totally understand that. So I understand that there's a great desire, and in the United States, there's a huge push on the part of the federal government to get people out. However, that has to be done with a lot of um, care and thought. And what I would say to many of your listeners is this, and this is what we'll spend our whole time together really talking about, is that. If you can successfully work from home, if your company has a very successful work from home experience right now, the question I would say to you is, why are you going back now? Mm-hmm. Why are you going back now? And I will tell you, uh, Alex, what I've seen in my client population over the last six to eight weeks, certainly in the last month, I'll tell you. Many of my clients have gone through this entire long laundry list of things that needs to be done for people to go back to work. And as they've gone through that entire big list of things, and they realize how challenging it is, how difficult it is, you know, just even enforcing all the behaviors that need to be done in the office place. And then they begin to think about, oh, my gosh, I may have to take mass, mass transit like buses or subways, depending on where they are. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, why are we going back? It's why are we going back? And I will tell you, even though we're going to talk through a long list of things, for many companies, if they have the ability to work from home, that is the strategy that they are going to keep, at least for the foreseeable future. You've seen that already with a variety of tech companies, Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter. In fact, some of them are saying you can work at home the rest of your life um, and never come back. And so there's going to be this huge change, I believe, under what we call reinvention, where companies are going to really rethink about how they work. But in the meantime, Mm -hmm. we need to figure out ways for people to get back, at least some of them to get back. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, and I think I'm going to end the segment there now because I know um, we're going to start our next segment conversation basically where we left off in our previous show, which um, if anyone wants to listen to aired April 23rd. So take a look, uh, take a listen to that show um, because we're going to continue talking on uh, from there in just a moment. 
Today, we are talking once again with Regina Phelps uh, on uh, COVID-19. We'll be right back. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking once again with Regina Phelps about COVID-19. Regina, great first segment. Uh, always uh, you know, talking to you. And now let's continue on where we left our last show, April 23rd. We were talking about um, re-entry planning. I know mm-hmm. you had a mm-hmm. list of, uh, I think, 10 Ten phases or ten um, steps. Yeah, ten steps. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, we went. We went through the first four. <laughs> right. And made exactly. It, uh, and now, we're, now we're going to get into the meat of the matter, which is number five, which is actually yeah. designing the reentry plan. And there's there's a lot of things we could talk about with this, but I'm just going to uh, we'll, we'll sort of see where our conversation goes. Um, and I'm sure many of your listeners are probably up to their eyeballs right now with trying to figure out how to go back because it's it's complicated. And mm-hmm. what I want to do is I, a couple things. I'd like to just talk about a couple of key principles. And then let's have some conversation and peel back the kind of things that people need to consider. But I think sure. there's three principles that you need to keep in the back of your mind. The first thing uh, is, well, is the trigger. That's the first principle. What's the trigger? 
Well, the first trigger is going to, of course, be the legal one, right? Your government, your Department of Public Health, your local authorities that say, yo, you can open up your office building. You can go back to work. So that's, frankly, the easy one. The second Mm -hmm. trigger is the internal trigger to your company. Why, uh, you know, why and how and uh, how critical is it right now for me to go back? And so that's the first important thing, to have a deep discussion and really understand how is it working right now. And so how do you figure out what your trigger is to go back? You have to do a little bit of assessment. How is it going right now? How is the work from home working? Are people productive? Are they able to achieve their deliverables? Um, Understanding that for a lot of people, this is a very different experience. They may live in a smaller house. They may have kids home from school. There might be a lot of things going on. I totally understand that. But the first thing is, how is it going? And frankly, Alex, I think that there's uh, two things that need, two populations that need to be asked that question. One are the managers. How's it going from their perspective? But mm-hmm. frankly, also, how's it going from the workers' perspective? And what we've done for many of our clients is we've designed a kind of a, a, a survey that they can dis- deploy on something like a survey monkey tool. And it really asks the questions about what's it like for them? How's the work? Are they able to meet their deliverables? Uh, what kind of difficulties they, might they be having in their home uh, situation as far as, you know, sometimes it is dogs, kids, too small a house, whatever. But the first thing you need to know before you even determine your own trigger is, how is it going now? Because the thing I would say to you is, if it's working now, if it is working now, and that's the question that would be answered by having a survey is, my next next question to you is, why are you going back now? Why are you putting people at risk? Why are you putting your business at risk? Why are you going to go through all of this if indeed what you're doing now works? I guess that's, excuse me, I guess that's also, um, you know, there's the physical dangers, you know, by mm-hmm. taking, you mentioned in the first uh, segment, taking mass transit or, or going into the office place. But there's also, uh, I, I guess, once people are uh, settled in at home, uh, you know, they feel safer, you know, there's a the mental aspect to it now, too. It's like, you want me to come back to the office? You know, how do I know I'm going to be safe? Right, right. And, and then they're thinking about, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work. Uh, and, and again, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people get to work, and so they have to do that. But then, to be honest with you, too, Alex, what happens is that when you go to work, and, well, first of all, when I ask people, what do you miss about work? What do you miss about going to the office? The most common thing I hear from people is, I miss my friends. I miss my coworkers. I, I miss that camaraderie that we have in the office. Well, I will tell you that when you go back to the office, the newly designed office, it is not going to look like it was before. You're going to be standing six feet apart, two meters from your colleagues. You're going to be wearing a mask when you're in common areas like hallways, elevators, bathrooms, lobbies, etc. You're not going to be having meetings because everything has to be done virtually because you can't do a meeting that's safe uh, in a conference room. Uh, And then pretty soon you're going to say, well, wow, this is like working from home. And I say, yes, that's exactly right. You are driving to work to work from home. And so yeah. once you understand what it's like, then people think, oh, well, you know, well, maybe maybe I'll just stay home if that makes sense. So the first 
principle I'm really asking people to do a deep dive on is why are you going back? And to do that with real intention and being smart and not just deciding you're going to go back because, well, gosh, we have an office. Therefore, we got to go back, don't we? Well, not necessarily. So that's the first trigger. The second really is about business impact. Uh, And by that, I mean you had a business interruption when you sent people home. You know, many companies, I'm sure people you work with, Alex, that this was very common. They had some people working from home periodically, but not everybody working from home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, disruptions of, oh, my gosh, everything, right? Um, Equipment and teleconferencing. And, I mean, it took a while to get all that ironed out. And now you kind of got it all ironed out. And for the most part, for most companies that we work with, I'll tell you, it's actually working pretty well. Mm-hmm. So when you come back to the office, there's going to be a business interruption because you've got to come back. And, you know, that's a different, again, you have to get resettled again. And if there's an outbreak, you're going back home again. <clears throat> so you have an inter- many opportunities for business interruptions, right? So mm-hmm. that's another thing that you have to be thinking about. So you shouldn't just look at, like, uh, you should. You, this should be smart. If you're going to go back to your office, you should be thinking about, I need to pick a time that may be less of an impact to the business because there's going to be a business interruption anyway. So is it, I probably wouldn't want to do the end of the month. You know, it depends on what people's businesses are, but maybe the end of the month is bad or certain other times of the month, or maybe there's a certain production cycle that's going on, or maybe there's a certain big project that needs to get finished. So I think they need to think about where am I in my business cycle so that I don't have this interruption create more of a problem. So that's the second thing that people need to think about. And then the third thing that people need to think about is what we call disease monitoring. They need to figure out, which is very different, and how most people, uh, most people uh, deal with employees who are ill. If somebody calls in sick, they're not able to work, they need to clearly understand, do you have COVID-related symptoms? And normally you would not ask that question. That's a, you know, there's a lot of legal issues about finding out what, what somebody's, why they're sick. It's not, in the United States, that's just not done. Um, in many countries, it also has issues related to that. So you have to understand why people are sick, because if all of a sudden they have a COVID-related symptoms or, you know, God forbid they were tested positive, now we have a situation where we've got a person who now is ill, and so we have to do contact tracing in our office. We have to make sure that mm-hmm. those individuals who were in contact with that person are sent home for 14 days of quarantine. The obviously, or isolation, the first per, the, uh, the person who's ill has to go home, of course, for uh, isolation. So all of that needs to happen, and that's something that we would never historically ever done in, in, in workplaces. But frankly, also, Alex, we need to understand if people have somebody sick in their home with COVID. Because just think about that. If you have somebody in your home and they have COVID, does your employer really want you to be then coming to work? That's right. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So the disease monitoring thing is an important thing for people to figure out how to do that, how to report it, because we cannot have a blind eye to not following what's going on with somebody, because that's how you're going to end up with a real serious problem. 
I, I remember so my, my dates in the uh, SARS incident um, back in 2003. Right. We actually had that. You know, we we had an employee. I think I mentioned this in the last show that was quarantined. But anyone who was sat around that person's desk was also told to stay mm-hmm. home for a period as yep. well. And yep. we had special cleaners come in and they cleaned that whole area. And just about mm-hmm. everybody on that floor where this person worked um, worked at home for a couple of days just as a extra safety protocol. And that disrupted a lot of stuff, you know, right. for people back then. You know, but, you know, I know it's only 2003. It may not seem like a long time ago, but, you know, technology is obviously a lot uh, stronger and better today than it was back mm-hmm. then. So it was a much mm-hmm. bigger impact. Yeah, and and that's and that was exactly what would happen in this situation. Somebody and and this actually, frankly, happened just uh, uh, yesterday in the United States at two Ford Motor plants. They had just opened on Monday, <laughs> and on Wednesday they had to close two of them uh, because two people were diagnosed with COVID. And again, they did the same thing. They had to do contact tracing. They had to isolate those individuals and send them home. They then had to shut off that section of the plant after they had done the contact tracing. They had to do a deep cleaning, and I think they're reopening again on uh, uh, tomorrow. But just think about that that's exact. I mean, they had to, it, it, it disrupted an entire line of manufacturing, uh, and that's exactly what would happen. So every, the disease monitoring is really important. And every company that's going to go back needs to figure out how we're going to do that. So that can include also, Alex, are we taking temperatures of people when they come in? Mm -hmm. Are we asking them the three critical questions, which are, do you have any of these COVID-related symptoms? Does anybody in your house have these symptoms? And have you been traveling uh, over the last 14 days? Uh, those are the three things that if you say yes to any of those, you're, you're not coming to work. <laughs> so, yeah. um, right. Right. So that disease monitoring is super important. And so that's the first, even before we even talk about all the things that you need to do, that's the baseline questions that need to be immediately answered. And your SARS examples are really spot on. I, I, I it got me thinking for a moment with the example uh, of the four plants you just mentioned. Would, Organizations also have to have some sort of a plan to deal with the person or persons uh, identified as having COVID-19 because they could potentially be looked at as the reason why some people can't go to work. So wouldn't mm-hmm. they? Wouldn't organizational leaders have to have some sort of a way of uh, dealing with that kind of situation? So because that person, you know, let's say a thousand workers and one person was diagnosed, there's going to be 999 angry, you know, people. Yeah, there has to be certainly, uh, and that's the really uh, challenging part about this. You know, in the United States, we have a law called HIPAA, which basically talks Mm -hmm. about protecting somebody's privacy for all the reasons that you just described. Uh, However, in this particular case, there's a certain amount of, uh, of, uh, of people finding out about it that's going to be hard not to, um, to disclose. Uh, Certainly, you're, the way that it would very commonly work on the contact tracing is that once a person had been diagnosed, that the HR department of a company would be notified. Hopefully, they have a contact tracing process as part of their return-to-work strategy. Uh, 
And that would include, again, contacting everybody the employee had been in contact with and then following up with them. This is also going to be doing being done, by the way, from the Departments of Public Health, but the HR department has a keen interest about this, as does the company, because we need to make sure these people get isolated immediately. They need to be sent home. Uh, those areas need to be cleaned. So the company has a lot of skin in the game here. But, yes, there's going to be some angst. Uh, with, you know, as your example, you know, 999 people are affected by the fact that uh, this one person was sick. and But unfortunately, that is kind of the way it goes here. Yeah, yeah, that, it's, that's going to be tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so those are the three things that people need to have in place. The, 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 the next thing you need to be thinking about is, okay, let's say we're, we're going back. Okay, great, let's do it. Okay, so the next question is, um, who is going back? Uh, the first thing is I would say to you is that you, the first group that always goes back after any business interruption, as you well know, is the infrastructure group, as we call them. So that's facilities, security, and technology. And their job is to ready the facility so that we can go back to work. So that could be, and there's a lot of readying that needs to be done when you see the long laundry list of things that I have. You know, are you going to do one-way corridors? Uh, how many people can be in an elevator? Are you going to lock all your conference rooms so people don't end up using them inappropriately? Are you going to limit your break rooms? Are you closing a cafeteria or changing what they do? Are you closing gyms? What about hand sanitation? What about masks? There's so many things that need to get done. All of that needs to be done by the infrastructure teams, and that would be um, that's going to take them several weeks to just get organized. And then once they've actually done all of that work, then the question is who goes in next. And we basically have looked at companies' uh, teams and said basically we divided them into kind of two groups. One is what we're calling the business support teams, would be like, which would be like HR and communications and finance and, you know, folks like that, legal. And then the other groups, other teams would be the lines of business. But who goes back? You know, you should not just, uh, you know, it's not y'all come. It's we have to carefully think about who goes back. And I have a lot of thoughts uh, about that, which I'll share with you as we go through this. But that's really the next thing that people need to think about. But you mentioned, I know we're almost at the end of this segment, but uh, you mentioned something that uh, got my brain uh, going. Cafeteria yeah. staff. And now a lot of yeah. places have those staffed by third parties. How would yep. they come into play with regards to, you know, would they be a part of the first wave? So I shouldn't say first wave. The first group of people <laughs> that come in, you know, uh, you know how, how would you involve groups like that, like cafeteria staff who are contracted yes. like that's a really critical issue. So your 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 reentry plan should have a lot of uh, information related to any of these third party vendors. So security is very commonly third party. Um, uh, you might have technology professionals that are third party and things like cafeteria. You need to work closely with those companies to make sure that your protocols and procedures are aligned, so that um, that you're they're they're doing exactly what you expect and want them to do. But for example, in cafeteria service, many companies are closing. Um, their dining rooms completely, so they may have still have food service, but most commonly the food service is not things that are served, no more salad bars, nothing like that. So there would be prepackaged foods that you would buy, ideally that they would be cashless, so there'd be some sort of, you know, tap credit card system versus cash, and that there would be no seating because you don't want people to congregate. So people are going to be grabbing their food, and then they're going back to their desk. 
So there's not going to be any socializing in this lunch experience. And then you get the facilities team upset because you've made a mess right. of the desk. <laughs> right. And then there's more cleaning because now the trash cans are overflowing. So you can see that there are cascading things here. So we have to really yeah. think carefully. Uh, when you make one decision, it ends up creating a bunch of other things as well. Right. And I think that's a perfect spot to end our second segment. Today, we're talking with Regina Phelps about COVID-19, and we'll be right back. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking once again with Regina Phelps uh, and our strategies for re-entering our offices as a result of COVID-19. Regina, you had some incredible information in segment two. Can we expand on that a little bit, like some of the strategies we need to consider to kind of um, think about going back into our office? Absolutely. I'm, I'll talk about kind of a... I'll, I'm going to put it in three buckets. The first book, bucket is kind of overall key points. Uh, the second bucket will be some specific strategies. And the third bucket will be looking at kind of like who comes back and how you might do that. So 
Let me just talk about some overall key points. Every every location, so if you have more than one location, Alex, every location should have somebody designated with the overall responsibility and authority for administering this plan. Um, that's really important. Uh, and I want to emphasize not only that you, they've been given the responsibility by management to do this, but they have to have the authority to act because we should not be asking for permission. If something comes up, we should be able to deal with things very rapidly. Agreed. We should also also be, be very clear about what I call triggers for movement. And what do I mean by that? You know, uh, what if you get one case of COVID in your employee population? You, you obviously do the contact tracing we talked about, and you close down that uh, particular area and clean it. Uh, but, okay, that's great. So then what if, but what if you get two people? What if you get three people? What if you get four? How many people are too many for you to say, oh, okay, we're going home? I think you need to have a really clear picture about what that looks like. And I also ask people to think about, what if they had an employee death? I've had several clients who've had deaths. And I will tell you, it rattles people to the bone. So they need to really think about that. Even when it's not pandemic-related, it can have an impact. Well, in this particular case, the two clients I have who've had deaths, they both died of COVID, and, uh, and they were in their 40s. And it was chilling to these companies. Um, and they all went back home. So it's important that you just have that discussion so that you're not making it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure also that you're, that you're reviewing the plan every single day. You're reviewing your situational awareness every single day. We know if anybody's sick. We know what's going on. Super important. Uh, the fourth point I would mention here is that you want to talk through any travel restrictions. So everybody has travel restrictions now, of course. And I'm assuming, I hope, they're still going to continue. I mean, frankly, do you want somebody jumping on a plane and then coming back into your office after that? Mm, maybe not. No. <laughs> right. Right. So they need to think about that. Uh, what about travel restrictions? Are, is, is getting in a car and going to see a client okay, but not flying? And do you want people doing client or site visits? Do you want them going into other locations? You need to think about all of that. Do you want visitors coming to your office? You need to think about all that uh, because mm-hmm. that's all how we've normally worked. And I would tell you that most of my clients are heavily restricting travel. Uh, most people are not allowing anybody to jump on a plane anytime soon. And, in fact, many of my clients are asking people when they go on their summer vacations, assuming people are still doing those this year, um, if they take a plane anywhere, that they need, they need to plan on working from home for 14 days on their return. So that should be something that your audience should really be thinking about. What about summer? Normally you would ne- never ask somebody where they're going on vacation, nor would you care. But mm-hmm. you need to think about that. And then there's all of the list of things that needs to be done, and I just want to spend a moment talking about each one of them. And I could, again, talk about this for a lot, but... First of all, you have to have physical distancing everywhere, so six feet, two meters from each other all the time. Um, What kind of uh, personal protective equipment are you requiring? Um, Most of my clients are all requiring masks in all public places, going to the bathroom, in the hallway, in the elevator, in the lobby, going to the cafeteria. Uh, and then you have to say, well, what kind of PPE are you requiring? Are you, is the company going to be providing it? What if people like their home masks that they wear better? Is that okay? That all has to be figured out. How are you managing elevators? Most elevators, you could only have four people 
in an elevator safely. You know, think about of loading a building when you can only have four people in an elevator. Um, okay, think about that. What about stairwells? Uh, many clients are, are turning one stairwell into an up stairwell and another stairwell into a down stairwell to avoid congestion and traffic and people passing each other. What about hallways? Are you converting any of them to one-way hallways so that you're not coming and facing somebody um, even though you have masks on? So those are all kind of the geographical things you need to consider. And what about common areas like copy areas and and break rooms and conference rooms and if you have gyms and all of those things, what about those? Are you going to keep them open or closed? Most of my clients are closing conference rooms. They're shutting down gyms till the pandemic is over. They're modifying what you can do in a break room. Um, most of them are taking out the coffee pot because it's way too much hand touching. And that's also the same for water dispensers and um you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about cafeterias briefly. What about those? Um, are they going to be open, and, and what kind of service are they going to be having? And then um, and then things like, uh, like uh, what about security? What if somebody comes into the building and you have a security officer downstairs? Uh, what kind of uh, expectations do you have there? Are they going to do temperature checking for everybody who comes in? Are they going to be asking those health survey questions I mentioned earlier? How's that going to work? And um, that gets into all the visitor issues we spoke about earlier. And then, and then the third-party vendors that you brought up. What are you doing about those folks? Right? Uh, they all they need to share your plan, their their plans with you, and they need to know what you expect of them. And that's a certain amount of education and onboarding to do that. So that's that's the first set of things. Um, does that any of that remind you from SARS at all? From your experience, then? Actually, it does quite a bit of that yeah. you know uh our reception people you know they were a little worried so we actually created a day de- desk for them behind a wall and mm-hmm. anyone that came in had to ring a bell you know and <laughs> or pick up a phone before anyone yeah. would go see them you know we had to make sure that it was okay you know yeah. so there are quite a, quite a few of those you know i i do like the uh two stairwell thing that's the first time i heard that one mm-hmm yeah, I think, you, I think you'll, you'll see a, a lot of these will be familiar to you from your SARS days, but a lot of them are new. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that, that need to be considered, of course, all the janitorial, all the cleaning, um, big deal. Oh, my gosh. And they will need to be using, you know, obviously approved disinfectants. They need to be obviously having the right personal protective equipment. And they need to be cleaning frequently. And it's not just at night. You know, in most office buildings, the cleaning is always at night. Um, they should be cleaning not only at the end of the day, but frankly, they should be cleaning throughout the day. Doorknobs, elevator buttons, handrail uh, um, uh, handrails on in a staircase, all those things we touch all the time. That needs your attention a lot. And one that really needs an attention, this is a very sensitive topic, but I'll mention it anywhere, bathrooms. Now, bathrooms are a big deal, and I'll tell you why. Uh, coronavirus is spread two ways. One is through respiratory droplets, so breathing, coughing, sneezing, singing, any of those things. And the second is it's in the intestines. So it's, it's found in, in human feces, animal feces. So bathrooms are a huge deal. And uh, this is a, I'll, try, I'll be delicate as I can about this, but there's something called a toilet plume, which is a very sophisticated and nice way to say that when you flush a toilet, it aerosolizes lots of water droplets that come into the air of the building, into the air of the, of the bathroom. If that person has coronavirus 
or is still shedding virus because it can stay in your intestines for up to 30 days, you can actually create a situation where people can be sick simply because of flush toilets. I know that sounds gross, but I tried to be as sensitive as I could. (laughs) Uh, In fact, that's one of the ways that SARS was spread in Hong Kong in 2003. So that's a big deal because most offices don't have lids on toilets. To flush a toilet safely, you have to have a lid on it to put it down so that when it's flushed, the aerosol does not come back up. So think about that for your home use as well. Um, mm-hmm. Then things like HVAC. What do you do about HVAC? That requires, are you going to change, are you going to have a better filter system on there that are more, more uh, removes viruses or bacteria particles, uh, but not all HVAC systems can tolerate those. So that's really important. And then what about how often the air is exchanged? That's also important. Then you want to have the issue related to talking about things such as emergency response. So um, do you have, uh, are you doing fire drills? And if you're doing fire drills, how can you do those safely? And um, because you're going down a stairwell and you have to be socially distanced and then you get out to your meeting place. So all those things have to be considered. That, got me, so, that gets me thinking of CPR, yeah. um, um, first aid as well. Right? Oh, my gosh. That's a huge deal. I mean, are, you, are, are people are injured at work. Are you expecting your employees to help them, right? Yeah. Huge issue. Huge, huge issue. Um, then two, three other things is maybe all we have time to talk about today. I'm not sure. But the, the next thing and one that's really important is the communication how are you communicating all of these changes to your employees? What about all the signage that's required? You know, one-way stairwells, one-way corridors. What's the, what are you doing with elevators? But also just the, the uh, education that's required. So we've asked all of our clients to plan on doing at least, you know, a, a, a webinar that probably you record that people could listen to that's required, it's mandated before they come back to work that explains all of this. Because this is like going back to Mars. It's not like going back to your office. This is completely different. So it's an education onboarding requirement. You want to have a webinar, ideally. And then your communications team should come up with, you know, the, you know, the document that says these are all the rules. And then, frankly, I would have an FAQ as well secretly asked questions document so that you could have lots of different questions posed that people could read through. So you're looking at education onboarding as if you're orienting people to a brand new job. Because mm-hmm. in some ways, mm-hmm. that's what it's going to feel like, right? It's so, so, so different. And then lastly, um, uh, how are you going to enforce all of this? You know, who's, who's going to play, you know, cop, so to speak? Um, what if people don't wear a mask, or what if people are wandering down the hallways with that one? Who's going to enforce that? I know that sounds kind of awful, but you're going to have to think about that in advance. Are people going to rat out <laughs> their friends? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I say that with laughter, but uh, it's a big issue, and it, and it will come up. And so your HR department needs to think about how you're going to enforce all of these new rules. Yeah. Believe it or not, we are less than three minutes uh, from ending. So <laughs> I can't believe, um, you know. It went by so fast, so, Alex. So, so much, yeah, time goes by so so fast, and yet there's so many more things that, uh, you know, we, we both want to cover here. So right. uh, I'll give you, um, you know, the last uh, minute and a half. Uh, are there any closing comments you'd like to have uh, to say at this point? 
Yeah, what I would like to say is that I, I, I think your, uh, companies need to think clear, clearly, clearly and carefully about coming back. There's many, many things that need to be done in order to peop- for employees to feel safe and for them to be able to um, assure their customers and their employees that everyone's doing the right thing. So your, your listeners need to carefully plan this. We have a lot more that we, we can talk about and will talk about when I see you next. But between now and then, I think what they need to be doing is think carefully about coming back is this the right time? Can we be slow and methodical about going back? Is there any reason for us to hurry or rush? We want to put safety first. And so how can we do this in a way that will be good for the business, good for our employees, and good for the overall public health of our city, our country, our area? And on that, I'd like to thank you once again, Regina, for sharing your time and expertise with us. It was great to be with you, as always, Alex. (laughs) And I know um, for everyone listening, we will be having uh, Regina back again. Uh, I think our next air date will be June 25th. So I know we're uh, chatting uh, a week or so just before that. So uh, Mm -hmm. I hope everyone continues to listen because there's a lot of great information that people really need to consider, you know, in their businesses and, uh, you know, on a personal level as well here. So I'm really glad to have you uh, keep coming back and uh, educating us, you know, with this. You're welcome, Alex. And I I hope all of you, all of your listeners and you remain well and healthy during all of this as we go forward. I will. And I hope you do, too. And to everyone who's listening out there, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.